Blog Talk Radio. The information discussed during the show is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any condition. If your pet is currently experiencing any medical issues, please seek immediate assistance from a licensed veterinarian. Good morning, everybody. You are listening to Holistic Pet Care with Dr. O. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline O'Sullivan, calling you from, I mean, speaking to you from Holistic Veterinary Care and Acupuncture Center here in Arizona. Um, you can post your questions on our new Facebook or Twitter, and I'll give you those uh, addresses in just a second. I do want to let every uh, one of our listeners know to call all of your friends because today, for an hour, we are gifted enough to have Dr. Jean Dodds with us. And um, good morning, Dr. Dodds. How are you? Good morning. I'm just fine. Thank you very much. Oh uh, yes. Yeah. So this, thing, I can't, I can't, I can't thank you enough for being here. We have so much fun stuff to talk about. But for our listeners here, first of all, I always, as always, I want to thank Sylvia Global Media Network for making this whole thing possible in the first place, and to let our listeners know that we now have. The information discussed during the show is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any condition. If your pet is currently experiencing any medical issues, please seek immediate assistance from a licensed veterinarian. Good morning, everybody. You are listening to Holistic Pet Care with Dr. O. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline O'Sullivan, calling you from, I mean, speaking to you from Holistic Veterinary Care and Acupuncture Center here in Arizona. Um, you can post your questions on our new Facebook or Twitter, and I'll give you those uh, addresses in just a second. I do want to let every uh, one of our listeners know to call all of your friends because today, for an hour, we are gifted enough to have Dr. Jean Dodds with us. And um, good morning, Dr. Dodds. How are you? Good morning. I'm just fine. Thank you very much. Oh uh, yeah. So this, thing, I can't, I can't, I can't thank you enough for being here. We have so much fun stuff to talk about. But for our listeners here, first of all, I as always, I want to thank Sylvia Global Media Network for making this whole thing possible in the first place, and to let our listeners know that we now have a Facebook page. So if you could like us, that would be great. Holistic Tech here with Dr. O. Follow us on Twitter, Dr. O D V M, and myself and a couple of really great social media mavens are working on that all the time. So we'll get back to all your requests, your questions, and if there's something you would like to hear on this radio show, please let us know because we want to make sure that we discuss everyone's concerns and convictions and passions on this show. So today we're going to go ahead and talk to Dr. Dodds about vaccine issues. And as Dr. Dodds and I had just discussed, there's um, a lot of um, old information, a lot of confusion about vaccinations for at least our dogs and our cats. And we will discuss that today to try and clear a little bit of that up and to give our listening audience resources to get further information. So with that introduction, 
Dr. Dodds, talk about our vaccine issue. You and I had talked about it in a pitch here, but let's talk about the history of vaccines and why it is that most of my clients and most of my white coat comrades believe what they believe and preach what they preach, which I don't do anymore, but we we talked about that in the beginning. So if you wouldn't mind taking a minute and talk to me about why does veterinary medicine think that we have to vaccinate with everything every 6 to 12 months forever? Um, Yes, as I I mentioned to you that we've known all about um, national policies and uh, alternatives to booster vaccinations given annually for at least 15 years. Uh, We've been promoting alternatives um, every year originally to do uh, serum antibody titers. Uh, and then now we do that every three years, and that's based on the latest recommendations and policies from the American Animal Hospital Association, the American Veterinary Medical Association, and the American Academy of Feline Practitioners. So for and we're now working, by the way, on the horse. So that's going to be yay. changing. Yeah. Yay. So now what's happened is um, back in the early 80s or so, when people like Dr. Ron Schultz and myself have been talking and talking and talking this whole problem to death about over-vaccination, immune memory cells, and whatever. Uh, Mm -hmm. We we laugh today. We say that that we no longer get arrows in our back because our backs are full, and so the arrows (laughs) go by us. <laughs> anyway, I, you know what? I haven't been at it as long as you have, but I, I absolutely know what you're talking about. And that right. it's very personal, and it it comes um, to me as somehow I'm destroying the practices that are continuing to do what it is we're discussing here. Like if you say a bad thing or you say a uh, an open-minded thing about that topic, it is wow. The response is. Shocking, shocking, shocking. So that's what makes you laugh. I'm like, oh, you too, that's awesome. So, <laughs> But you see what's so so tragic about it is the profession has been um, brainwashed by the industry, and why not? That's their job. Those, those people are selling medicines or they're selling vaccines. That's what yep. they're paid to do. Why are we so blinded? There's this um, erroneous concept that um, vaccine income makes a big gross importance to an overall practice. It's actually only about 14%. But as came up in my seminar I gave in South Jersey this weekend, people are using it as a so-called hook to get people in to see a veterinarian because otherwise they feel they won't get wellness exams, you know, which, of course, the animals need. Um, And secondly, they won't have any patience in today's fiscal climate. Well, in fact, instead of sending people that ubiquitous magnet reminder, come and see your veterinarian (laughs) for your vaccine boosters, you send them a note, either a letter or a magnet, that says come in for your annual health checkup and a vaccine update. An update means... We don't have to vaccinate today, Mrs. Jones. We can do a blood test instead, Mrs. Jones, or we can wait three years. If you want to have a booster vaccination, despite our recommendations, just sign informed consent with this little X on the box. So you give them a little sheet when they come in the door, and when the veterinarian and technician see the patient, they can check, yes, I want a vaccine, no, I want a titer, uh, whatever, or deferment, so that we have a record. Veterinarians need to have a record for informed consent before they just routinely keep doing the toxic tissue culture soup, as I say it uh, tongue-in-cheek, combo-wombo booster vaccination. Now, there's another thing about all of this, and that is just so readers, uh, listeners may realize, in 2010, 
uh, 15 years after the fact, Dr. Ronald Schultz and colleagues at the University of Wisconsin did challenge studies in dogs and cats that had not been vaccinated for nine years. Uh -huh. And all of them had blood test titers for canine distemper, canine parvovirus, canine hepatitis, and feline panleukopenia, all showing on the blood test that they were protected still. And mm -hmm. they challenged them to live viruses, those four, four different viruses, and they all survived without any illness. Now, that's nine years. So why are we doing boosters? Well, it's important because those four viral diseases, that's distemper in the dog, parvo in the dog, hepatitis mm -hmm. in the dog, and panleukopenia, which is often miscalled feline distemper. It's not distemper. a distemper. It's a parvovirus yep. uh, in the cat. Yep. Yep. Those four diseases produce sterile immunity when the animal is truly immunized. That means they cannot become infected and they cannot shed the virus. It also means that in addition to what's in the blood when you measure the blood test, their cell-mediated mucosal and secretory immunity is also stimulated and protected. So for those four diseases, which, you know, beyond rabies, of course, are the most important clinical diseases in the dog and cat today, there is no way that the circulating titer doesn't also mean they have permanent immune memory cells. This is really, really important to realize. And in fact, there's a paper in my alma mater's country's Canadian Veterinary Journal right now from Spain saying that everybody knows modified live viruses don't last more than three years, and it's totally mm -hmm. incorrect. That's the right. editor is a classmate of mine, and I'm writing a letter to the editor very calmly explaining that that's not true with the appropriate <laughs> references. So people don't know. They're not immunologists, and the reviewers are clinicians who don't have basic immunological knowledge either. So we have a huge educational gap in our profession that is really, really disappointing for folks like myself. Mm, Dr. Dodd, can you uh, can you just re, um, back up a little bit to sterile immunity because I think that that's extremely important because you know, what you said with regard to once we're vaccinated, we have sterile immunity. That means what? Because our listening audience are the majority of them are. Uh, animal owners, animal lovers, animal advocates. So I think that's a really important point because this is from this point forward, we have sterile immunity, meaning if you could just review that, that would be awesome for me. Yes. What it means is the animal has the antibodies the animal can, has in its tissues and in its blood prevent infection from those viruses again. So they're basically sterile with respect to not being able to be exposed anymore. But, but Carolyn, there is one other important, two other important points. First of all, mm -hmm. people need to separate the act of giving a vaccine from immunization. It doesn't mean the vaccine took. When I say the animal's been immunized, that means the vaccine took. Not that the animal was just given a vaccine, but it actually elicited the immune response we, we want. Now, there are animals, it's not common, it's about one in a thousand cases for parvo and one in 5,000 cases for distemper that are genetically unable to make antibodies. They can't make antibodies to distemper or parvovirus um, doesn't matter how often you vaccinate them. And furthermore, they're not protected ever. They're susceptible for life. Because of that, in order to be sure that you know the status of your pet, once they've completed their immunization series, they should have one blood test to, to do measure distemper parvo antibodies in the dog 
and panleukopenia uh-huh. antibodies in the cat to make sure they've actually been immunized and are going to be immune. If yeah. they're not, they should not be used for breeding, and they should not go where there's a high risk for exposure to parvo or distemper, for example. Now, if this, really this, inability, if this inability to become immunized, it, we, we consider that to be an immunosuppressive state? Uh, that no, I it, no, no. It's a genetic block in the it's ability to make antibodies to those viruses. It's a, so this it's is another genetic... Yes. And if you were going to breed an animal that had other attributes, I mean, I'm not recommending it, it would only be the male, not the female, because you're not producing any antibodies for the puppies. And we've had disasters where whole litters and the mother have died of distemper uh, because uh-huh. they didn't know that these, this adult female was a non-responder until she was exposed. And she was exposed to a wildlife distemper. She died and her ten puppies died, one after the other. It was horrible. Yeah, nothing, there's, oh God, you know what? I, I, I've been through that, unfortunately, as a practitioner and as a, you know, doing rescue work and such, not only with distemper but with parvo. And um, it, it, it's, more, it's about a horrible thing. And it, it, as far as I'm concerned, it, it, does, it does try your soul for sure, and especially for a profession such as ours where we are sure that we're supposed to be able to fix everything. Watching these guys go down one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, uh, oh, I just, those, those memories will never, ever go away. So the yeah, information yeah. that you're giving out is, is so vital not only to our pets, our friends, but also to their future. And like you said, you know, Polly, well, what if we do have a litter and we, we have a, an animal, a female with a genetic block and that her and her puppies die because we just didn't know the information that you're giving out today, Dr. Dodd? We just didn't right. know. And then you find out later, that, that I know that the guilt that goes along with that, I'm like, how come I didn't know that? How come my veterinarian didn't tell me that? I get that all the time, Dr. Dodd, all the time. I'm like, well, first of all, I don't think your white coat knows. I honestly don't because I would, you know, I'm, I'm a boiler maker. I got a pretty darn fine education, and I didn't know. So, right. so no, they don't. And Right, and this article in the Canadian Veterinary Journal didn't know that either. They le- listed four reasons why animals might not have immunity. Well, first of all, they didn't realize that uh, sterile immunity means the mucosal immunity is there as well. Uh, but they didn't even remember about the genetic uh, background issue. So it's really, really um, frightening how little education we teach in our veterinary schools and in our graduate training about this, mm-hmm. and most of what they get is going to be detail work from the commercial companies that are selling vaccines. And again, I'm not <laughs> criticizing them. That's their job. But the people that are selling vaccines that are not the scientists, they're not going to tell the client that because they don't know it either. Exactly, exactly. And, the, you know, the folks, like you said, this is, this is selling vaccines and selling other, other products is a job. Okay, it's a job. It, it, it's what they do, and that's okay. It's that our my responsibility as a as a doctor, as a scientist, as a diagnostician, and taking responsibility for my patients and my clients, um, and being a really trying to be a really good advocate requires me to continue working and continue searching and continue doing things like we're doing right now. So you know the the idea that you, you never stop and you never stop asking questions, even though that you fly in the face of what you were taught or, you know, mandated or whatever, that ask questions, you know, just ask. And that I want, I want my clients to listen. I want everyone in this show to hear this, that ask questions, self-educate, become an awesome advocate. And like you said, those you're going to feel those little ting, ting, ting arrows or some people standing face-to-face with a white coat are intimidated. And that really doesn't, 
that's not my personality, so it's not easy for me to understand. But <laughs> the, the white coat thing is true. So we just have to stand up and advocate for our friends using powerful information such as you're imparting right now. So, but, but Carolyn, think of think of the average pet owner who's encouraged by a neighbor who may have the, the strength or courage to, to ask questions. And whenever you do that, don't attack the people. Ask them to please explain it. This um, uninitiated pet owner gets intimidated. Well, first thing they're going to say, yes, we can do a vaccine titer, uh, Mrs. Smith. It's going to cost you $250, where the vaccine <laughs> is only going to be 25 Well, first of all, they don't, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, they, don't, they don't do titers very often, so they have no clue what it costs. I mean, I've had people say, you can do a rabies titer, it costs $500. Well, you know, that's, none of that's true. I mean, the average titer price is about 50 bucks, give or take. And yes, the veterinarian has to charge for drawing the blood, but that's going to be the same no matter what you do. So it isn't right. that expensive. And then the client needs to say, I don't care, um, Dr. McGillicuddy, whatever it costs, I need to do this first to make sure that my animal's a responder and did get immunized and then decide what I'm going to do. And we do titers every three years now after, after the first adult titer. Every three years, and we t I tell my clients, once they reach 10 years of age, forget it. You're not going to get a vaccine anyway. You want to pay me to do a titer, I'll do it, but I'm not vaccinating your old dog. So you know, the, it's a powerful thing. And then veterinarians intimidate the client, and the client yes. gets talked into it. But, you know, we had a case recently in a Weimaraner that was inadvertently given three sets of vaccines within a year because oh. it was one of these oh. fancy electronic records uh, you know, corporate, uh, <laughs> yeah, and they couldn't yeah, find, yeah. you know, the electronic record couldn't, didn't match. And um, the dog was very, very sick. Uh, he survived, thank God. And they asked to have the cost of the care reimbursed because, you know, shouldn't have had all those vaccines. And That's fortunately, right. one, of the, one of the veterinarians wrote in the, in the record that the dog had been over-vaccinated. Well, they offered <laughs> them a, pit, a pittance. The, the corporation offered them a tiny fraction of the amount of money involved, um, and they refused, and they held out, and they got, because they were going to go to small claims court, they got the whole amount paid. Then they had to sign something that they would not talk about it. So, oh you know, I was, I, was well, no, no, I was involved in helping them with the, um, the references, you know, to, to validate what they did. And I yeah. said, don't be silly and refuse the money. You don't have to tell people whose clinic it was. You need to use the money to educate others about vaccine yeah. issues. So they Good said, you know, you. don't be, don't be right. Yeah, you. don't be right. Don't be adamant, and then lose the opportunity to educate others. So that's what they're going to do. Thank God. Good for you. You know what? I just, I, oh my gosh, this is so positive. This is so empowering. I just love this, and and that even in these cases of these, you know, uh, mistakes or however we want to term them, turning it around to where it's a positive, educational, empowering experience for every single person that this family talks to is amazing because it doesn't happen often. And just to twist this thing around to have something positive and to spread the word um, is is um, glorious. That That's the only word that really comes to me. So um, thank you. Thank you so much for doing that because it, it's not an easy struggle having people, you know, turn around and, like you said, tell a friend, tell whatever, without being aggressive, without being negative, without being demanding, just saying that this is, this is what I believe and this is what I'd like done and this is, you know, this is me advocating for my best friend. And that's where it, that's it. And then asking for more education, asking for more information, those types of things, and then making up your own mind based, 
on all of these, all of this information in, in self-education. So I just, you, you've encapsulated the whole point of this show, Dr. Dawes. I can't stand it. This is wonderful. <laughs> uh, you're no, sitting down, me. aren't you? You're not standing. I, well, I have been walking around this whole time. i got to be honest oh. with you. So this, this is good stuff. Now, um, oh. many of the things that I hear, now talk to me, if you don't mind, about over-vaccination and the relationship to autoimmune diseases, to cancer. This is not to freak out our listening audience. It's just that um, we we need to know that there are some links to some vaccines and some creatures, and it might make our friends more susceptible or turn on genetic, pre, you know, the markers. Predisposition, yes. Exactly, right? right? So, so right. Like, can we talk about that for a couple minutes? Sure. It's really, really important for people to know that in addition to the vaccine antigens, when you give a vaccine, there's all the tissue culture remnants and other nutrients like bovine uh, or fetal class serum, for example, um, and then the uh, proprietary adjuvants that are put in. In fact, the most um, com uh, controversial one and the most uh, dangerous one is mercury. And mm -hmm. mercury is put in most human rabies vaccines, in fact, nearly all of them, and mercury is present in all but two of the animal rabies vaccines. And mercury mm -hmm. produces adjuvant-induced autoimmune disease. It's called the ASIA syndrome, A-S-I-A. -A. And that syndrome has been documented scientifically in humans, companion animals, and rodents, laboratory animals, by uh, Dr. Yehuda Schoenfeld and his colleagues at Tel Aviv University. And it's recently been summarized in the Swedish veterinary literature and human literature. So mercury adjuvant-induced autoimmune disease. But not just mercury, any of the other vaccine components can stimulate autoimmune disease, and they can stimulate diseases that the animal is genetically predisposed to, like diabetes, yep. for example, or thyroid disease, or Addison's yep. disease, or God forbid epilepsy uh, with distemper, uh, as well as rabies vaccines, because the animals are predisposed, and you just need a triggering event. It could be a chemical, a toxin, a drug. It can be a bacterial, viral, fungal, parasitic infection, but a lot of the time it's a vaccine because they're given over and over again. Over and over again. And the published yeah. literature in the referee literature shows that you get more reactions once you've sensitized an animal down the road a piece. You get more reactions in uh, neutered versus intact animals. You get many more reactions in small breeds versus larger breeds because you give them the whole same dose of vaccine that a larger dog has. And so all of this is documented in the veterinary refereed literature, like in the AVMA Journal, for example, and yet veterinarians right. become totally oblivious to some of it, and they're unaware. Yeah, and uh, the, you know, your point is your point is is so valid with regard to the small dog versus large dog, because you know when I was doing traditional stuff, um, people would ask, you know, you bring in your Chihuahua, and they say, can we get a half vaccine? Because you know, I don't know how big am I, two and a half pounds, and then I'm a um, I'm self-proclaimed English Mastiff freak i love them you know if you're not 200 pounds or more you're just not a dog right so but you know you would answer the question no they need to have a full one ml of vaccine and then like you're saying this temper parvo hepatitis adenovirus rabies uh, bordetella those types of things and when you actually stop being a white coat and you just think about it you're like that doesn't even make sense i mean that doesn't even make sense that i would be pushing the plunger on a two and a half pound dog because, because why? You know, if you just start thinking for yourself. Now, um, that you're neutered versus intact. 
Um, can you explain that to us? I don't think we, we really understand the difference so much. However, for example, um, I had someone write to me about their breeding stock, and I said, be sure you don't vaccinate the 30 to 40 days before they're coming in estrus if they're an intact female. And she said, why? I said, because sex hormones trigger immune-mediated reactions. If genetic predisposition, you have an aggravating agent, in this case a vaccine, you have sex hormonal change, and you have stress. So the same thing is true in neutered versus intact. You're changing the hormonal balance in the body. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the small breed thing is not unknown. There's a lot of data, actually, on uh, clinical data on small breeds uh, such that we know that, that it is protective. And this is what we say. If the animal as an adult weighs 12 pounds or less, in other words, a boy breed, half a dose will immunize them. Immunize them, actually. Now, you can't do that for rabies. However, you might be interested to know that in Scandinavia and Japan, there are good published results showing that half a dose of rabies will work as well. As well, But we can't do that by law. So rabies, yeah. they have to get the whole thing, make sure it's a mercury-free one, not one that yep. has mercury in it. And mercury is thimerosal, T-H-I-M-E-R-O-S-O-L. And then the half dose, the American Veterinary Medical Foundation, uh, I'm on the board of directors, is currently funding a small breed vaccine double-blind crossover study. Uh, It was originally promoted by the Maltese Club. Uh, It's actually been funded by the Chinese Crested Club. And uh, Hemopet is going to do this study with Dr. Richard Palmquist and myself. And the AHVMF is going to pay for it. And during the month of April, all funds donated to AHVMF are matched by Mercola. So we now have twice the amount of money, and we'll be able to extend this study with the intent of publishing it in a referee journal. Right on. So, Dr. Dot, say that again, please, because I want to make sure everyone heard that, that if, if folks donate to this okay. rabies study that the, uh, it's through this group, all of that money is going towards the study. Is that correct? Is that what small, you're saying? A small study. You, you, what you do is if you want to, before the end of April, which is now, um, mm-hmm. it'll be matched, but it doesn't matter. It's the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Foundation, ahvmf.org, and you uh-huh. have to target the donation to the small breed vaccine study. All right. Are you there? Yep. Oh, good. Sorry, my phone just did something weird. I'm like, oh, no, I didn't lose it, did I? Uh, and, of course, you can, yeah, great. you can donate to the Rabies Challenge Fund as well, which is still ongoing in year seven, and that's www.rabieschallengefund.org, and it's administered by Hemopet. Um, we give it as a donation. My staff uh, manages the fund as a donation. None of us are paid, but we're looking to change rabies vaccines from three years to five and seven. Yeah, for booster yeah, requirements. That, that's fair. Now, um, in, um, with Time Horizon and the reality of what it is that you do in your experience, when your rabies challenge study is done and it, it says what it needs to say, then it becomes more of a maybe a more of a political thing or a state by state thing or a <laughs> um, you know what I mean? I, I'm just trying to be honest here, right? So it's, it becomes it's something a, else, doesn't it? It's a state by state thing. It's a most important thing is telling the public that their animals are safe. That's really important. It'll be a state-by-state thing. We don't know what the federal government will do with it. They probably aren't going to be receptive to changing things, but we're working on it, and we're working on the companies um, that are helping. um, We have to get the vaccines that they're given from companies, obviously, and all the vaccine companies have to do challenge studies for rabies, and nobody wants to do them. 
So it's going to be very <laughs> right, important. Right. Nobody wants to do that, that the USDA will accept it. And for the first time, we have serial tighter data three times a year on these dogs now in year six to show how long the immunity in the blood lasts. And nobody's had those data for the dog. We only have it for people, although isn't we don't do challenge studies, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. actually, your information about your vaccines, um, I, I kind of got a little twist when you were saying, but you were talking about Asia and the, you know, the reaction to the mercury and the rabies vaccines, especially in humans. All of a sudden, my right arm started hurting. I'm like, oh, really? Because <laughs> you know, as a veterinary student, you get multiple rabies vaccines. And such. I'm like, literally, with my right arm, I'm like, uh, brother, I can't believe it. So I'm like, all right, one more thing. Because I never really think about myself. I think about the animals. I'm like, Really, a human, that's awesome. Look what I did to myself. Uh, <laughs> the lack of information is just really self-destructive, isn't it? My gosh. Um, yep. So you have blessed us with so damn much information today. i got to be honest with you, I'd like to cancel all my appointments and just read and read and read and then send out emails to everybody and blast some flyers saying, okay, we have to change everything. Everyone needs to come in and get in complete thyroid profiles and we need to do this and we need to tell everyone to get mercury free vaccines and this kind of everything. So that being said, in all of my excitement, um, we have got about seven minutes here to tell everybody what you think are the most important points, not of all of your work, because chemo pet, fantastic. You know, the greyhound work you do is just over the top. Um, and with this thyroid testing and all of these underdiagnoses and the fact that my my uh, my tribe veterinarians are completely missing this, and our friends are suffering because of that. And that with our vaccines, all of the wonderful information you gave that can empower people. If you were to encapsulate this to a couple of points that our pet owners can take with them, like a bead of gold, what would they be, Dr. Dodd? Well. The entire focus of all of this, whether we're talking about thyroid or vaccines or drugs or whatever, is nutrition. So the, <laughs> the health and longevity of animal and human populations is dependent upon individualized functional nutrition. And that's the center of everything because wholesome nutrition is essential for the um, health of the immune system and resistance to disease. So all the other things turn around having balanced nutrition. And once the nutrition is balanced, then we can start looking at specifics, how the thyroid's working, um, how the vaccines are working, what drugs we should use, what breed-specific uh, predispositions we have, and for the individual animal or individual person, because we're all different. It isn't just our genes, it's how our genes are expressed. And I think we talked about that in the nutrition segment at our last yes. interview. We did, we did. It's great, it's great. Um, in the, now, we, with NutraScan is another one of your wonderful programs where I think, isn't your, isn't your robot named George or something like that? Didn't you, Our robot's you, name is George, that's correct. George is doing well. And, and by the way, our new book will be out hopefully sometime this summer. Diana Larvadura and I have the second book after our canine thyroid epidemic book, which was the 2011 best dog health care book for the year. Um, the can, the can, yeah, the canine thyroid epidemic. And it's written for the public, uh, but has all the references for us as well. The new book is called Functional Foods That Heal Your Dog. The Power of Nutrigenomics, and it is Functional incredible, food. I have to tell you, that heal your dog, 
the power of nutrigenomics. That's how yeah. nutrition and our genome work together through gene expression to keep us healthy and living longer. Yay, yay, isn't this, oh, I'm just so excited, I just, this is so wonderful. Um, okay, so we have a foundation of food, and it's individualized, and that is, those, you know, with traditional Chinese medicine, airy breathe food to eat, you know, so you couldn't get more specific than that with individualized functional nutrition. I need everything that goes in your mouth to be doing work, and it needs to be doing functional, specific work for your friend, your creature, and always remembering no choice, no voice. Our decision is mandated to them because they, they don't have the key to the refrigerator or the groceries or, or the credit cards and stuff. So that's so, so important. And then we start to be empowered and talking to our traditional late coats, our veterinarians, about thyroid testing. We talk about vaccines in a very well-educated, peaceful, advocatory way. Uh, and if you were... I don't even I don't even know I can't even think about being a traditional veterinarian again. But you you have a uh, you go and you talk to your traditional white coat. How would, what would you tell our listeners about approaching these topics with your veterinarian in a very uh, supportive way? Well, I, I think again you have to be non-confrontational. You have to say, look, you know I've been a uh, client of yours for X years. Or if you're a new client, you want to interview them first before you be, uh -huh. go there. Um, yeah. I believe that nutrition is the key for individual health and longevity. I, I practice it for my family. I practice it. Now. I want to practice it for my companion animals. Can you help me? Now, if they say, oh, yes, we have all these commercial diets and prescription <laughs> diets and whatever, the yeah. person can say, well, no, I really don't want to do that. I want to take a different approach. And by the way, how do you feel about feeding raw? Well, if they go ballistic at that, you say, well, thank you very much. Let me think it over, and you get the heck out of there fast. That's, that's right. That's right. Thank you for your time. I must go. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I'll think that's it over. It. Just, yeah, just say I'll think it over rather than storm out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your time. I appreciate that. Bye-bye. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's so funny because those, those exact words chime in every single class I teach, every initial consultation I do. I'm like, here's the thing. Go in and be peaceful. Go in and be information-based. Go in there, and that's, if you hear X, Y, or Z, thank them for their time. Pay their initial consult, and then leave, and then go find somebody else. You know, so that, that's so funny. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing you might have, the person might say, well, I really don't understand this. Do you have anything that I could read? Now, if they say yep. that, you don't necessarily have to stay with that practice, but please give them something non-inflammatory and factual to read because you yep. may be actually helping someone take a new path. You got the, you know, you're so right. Now, we only have a couple minutes here, but I actually, as you know, I teach some classes, and in the last um, semester I taught, I had two veterinarians and two veterinary technicians in the back row of my classes, and they were, you know, oh. kind of on the low low. You know, they're just kind of like, uh, I said, so why are you guys here? Why are you guys here? And people say they lost an animal or those types of things, but it is spreading. You know, people are, you know, it's just you just have to be out there as far as I'm concerned, right. out there. And just giving mm -hmm. information, just admitting that I don't have all the answers, but I'm just trying really, really hard. So that, that being said, I don't want to be self-aggrandizing because this is all about you, Dr. Dodd. Um, we have no. a minute to go. <laughs> uh, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, my soul, and, and all, all of my clients and all of my patients that are going to benefit from all of this information. And know that I'm not going anywhere because I'm probably going to be bugging you about more and more and more and more stuff. So um, enjoy, enjoy your travels and... Um, 
thank you so much for being with us and all of our listeners and everyone's going to listen to this in archives over and over. And I hope everyone gets a hold of you at you know at Hemopet um, and um, starts to do better work. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Dodd. You've been the best. Thank you, Carolyn. Love you very much. I uh, love you too, honey. And let's keep it up and um, have good travels and be safe, okay? Okay, thanks. You're very welcome. And thank you to all of our listeners. Stay involved. Stay updated. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and ask us any question you possibly want and let us know what topics you want to hear for future shows. Have a great week and I'll talk to you next time. The information discussed during the show is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any condition. If your pet is currently experiencing any medical issues, please seek immediate assistance from a licensed veterinarian.